I have returned. Y'all, this is a special episode. This is the 10th episode of the Reagan Griffin Jr. Show. Number 10. That's, that's essentially 10 hours of me talking, man. This has really been the ultimate test. Because, you know, I've always been a person who could talk a lot. I have no shortage of breath. This has been the ultimate test of how long can Reagan actually talk about sports. And apparently, that exceeds 10 hours. It's been a great 10, y'all. I appreciate all of the support. All of the, you know, people telling me that they uh, appreciate what I'm doing, that they like the episodes, all the feedback, all the love. It doesn't go unnoticed. Here's to the next 10 and beyond. And since it's the 10th episode, 10th episode, excuse me, I'm going to do a top 10. I've been seeing a lot of top 10 quarterbacks or top lists of quarterbacks floating around Twitter. I'm going to do my top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL right now. But that'll be at the end. <laughs> Got it. Got it. See what I did there? A reason for you to listen to the entire episode, so let's get into it. It's going to be a very NBA-heavy episode. Obviously, with the NBA really finalizing all of the the Disney campus rules and regulations, they came out with a schedule. It looks like we're going to have basketball back at the end of July. It's going to be a very NBA-heavy episode. Before I get into basketball, I want to address Bubba Wallace. And I want to address the entire situation that we saw took take place in NASCAR. And I'm going to address that from an angle, not necessarily talking about NASCAR, but a pattern that I see so often when the issue of prejudice comes up. Not just in sports, but in our society in general. So if you're not aware of what's been happening in NASCAR, if somehow you've been living under a rock, geez, I'm really talking about NASCAR right now, man. Last week, I talked about Major League Baseball. This week, I'm talking about NASCAR. Hell, maybe next week, I'm going to talk about curling. Anyways, if you've been living under a rock and you don't know what's been going on with NASCAR, Basically, there's one black driver that I'm aware of. I don't think there's any more than Bubba Wallace. But if there are, my apologies. But let me try to break down the situation. So NASCAR banned Confederate flags. That was the first thing that I noticed that I saw happen with NASCAR. They banned Confederate flags at their events. And that caused an uproar, obviously, because we know the crowd of people who want to fly their Confederate flags because it somehow honors their heritage of losing wars. I don't get it, but that's besides the point, because not too long after, NASCAR reports finding a noose in Bubba Wallace's garage. A rope hanging from the ceiling, tied in the form of a noose. And there was this huge uproar, right? NASCAR, how can this happen? We have to be better. And the entire NASCAR community, it really wrapped its arms around Bubba Wallace. We saw gestures like dudes getting out of their cars and and pushing Bubba Wallace's car to the front. Wallace, to his credit, has been very vocal 
and willing to step forth in the limelight to address these issues. And the community really, it did an excellent job. And mind you, I have no interest in NASCAR whatsoever. I have a friend who does. Noah Cornelius, he actually got reached out to by the New York Times, asking him about his experience as a black NASCAR fan. Um, Shout out Noah. But I have no interest in NASCAR. I, I could give a crap. But I do have an interest in issues of race. So... Similar to how last week, I did not care about the MLB, but I cared enough about the labor dispute to pay attention. Same kind of thing going on here. I cared enough about the issue at hand to pay attention to what's going on. And to NASCAR's credit, they really wrapped their arms around Bubba Wallace and they've approached this situation in the way that I'd expect an organization to approach something like this. But then... There was an FBI investigation, and they found out that the rope, the noose, rope at this point, they find that it's been there since 2019. And all of this speculation starts floating around. Was it even a noose? Or is it just a rope, you know, that's used to start closing the garage? And that's what the conversation turned into. Is it a noose? Yes or no? And it was a really excellent segment on ESPN on the Will Cain show. Will Cain had Bomani Jones come on his show. And they debated about this. And Bomani, y'all know how I feel about Bomani Jones. If you don't know, let me tell you, I think Bomani Jones is one of the most nuanced, intelligent sports analysts out in the game right now. I very much appreciate what Bomani Jones do does, excuse me. And he goes on the Will Kane show and he absolutely schools the dude. And I'm not going to give you guys the entire discussion, but essentially what it boiled down to was Will Kane had this idealistic view of individualism and in saying that he believes in white individuality, not every white person is racist, which to his point not every white person's racist, obviously. We would be in a much worse society if every white person was racist. But Bobani's point in this whole discussion of whether or not it's a noose, Bobani's telling Will Kane, white people as a collective, there's no reason to give them the benefit of the doubt, particularly within NASCAR, that it wasn't a noose. Why should we assume that it's not a noose and inst instead of assuming that it was a noose? Right? It doesn't take a genius to put two and two together. And Bomani's overarching point was, you're asking for a benefit of the doubt that you as an individual might deserve but white America as a collective based on historical pretense has not earned. And that's not an indictment on any individual, just the collective history of our country. That was that discussion. Uh, I encourage you to go check that out because I thought it was a very intelligent, intelligently had discussion. 
But that was the conversation that was being had. Is it a noose? Is it not a noose? Is it is it a noose? Um, and then eventually, NASCAR they finally release a photo of what the rope looked like. It was fashioned in what can't be disputed as anything but a noose. It was one hundred percent, most definitely, a noose tied rope. And they checked every single garage in NASCAR throughout the country. Not a single rope tied in that fashion investigated over 1,600 garages. Only one rope tied like that in Bubba Wallace's garage. So, yes, it was a noose. But what really rubbed me the wrong way about this entire situation was the way the dialogue divulged into something that I view as really inconsequential. Is it a noose? Is it not a noose? Da 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 da. I could really care less, man. Because it's not about the noose, man. It never was. It was about what the noose symbolized, which was the issue of racial prejudice within the sport of NASCAR, regardless of whether or not that was a noose. There's no disputing the fact that there is an issue with race in the sport of NASCAR. No pun intended, an issue with race. <laughs> I'm funny sometimes. Boy, if you don't get... But it's like, why, why, are we, why are we so caught up on whether or not it's a noose? If that was just a random rope and people started throwing the whole Justice Smollett thing out... That that Bubba Wallace was just, you know, trying to victimize himself or I don't even know, man. But to me, it, it was so pointless, the discussion of whether or not the rope was fashioned like a noose, because regardless of whether or not it was fashioned like a noose, the problem would exist either way. It's not like that was the end all be all. If it's a noose, then NASCAR has race issues. If it's not a noose, then NASCAR has no race issues. That's not the problem. That's not that's not the discussion that's being had. So why are we even talking about the noose? Let's talk about the actual issue at hand. And like I said before I got into this conversation, this is what happens every single time the issue of prejudice comes into play. And it's gotten to the point where I, as an intelligent individual, you as an intelligent individual, how can we sit back and not say that this is not an intentional move by people who want to avoid the actual conversations that need to be had? In sports, we saw it here. Is it a noose? Is it not a noose? We saw it with Colin Kaepernick. Is kneeling disrespectful to the flag, to the military, or is it not disrespectful to the flag and military? We saw it when a gay player tried to enter the NFL. Well, is Michael Sam actually good enough, or is he not good enough? SEC Player of the Year. Outside of sports, we saw it in the Trayvon Martin case. Well, did George Zimmerman initiate the fight or did Trayvon Martin initiate the fight and can when this issue of confederate flags come up 
well, is it an issue of race or is it an issue of history? In the Me Too movement, well, if if she had a problem with the interaction, why didn't she say something immediately? We always talk about the things that are not the actual issue every single time. Every single time we talk about the things that are not the issue at hand. It's called filibustering. If you don't know what filibustering is, let me give you a little bit of political. Let me, let me put on my professor hat. Filibustering is actually a congressional strategy. They use this in our, in, in our government and when you hear what it is, it is the most childish thing you can possibly think of. The elected officials that we have run our country, they do this. It's an actual strategy. Filibustering is essentially when you have a, a point that, that, that you need to vote on. Some sort of regulation or law or, or uh, amendment or what have you. There's about to be a vote. And one of the sides wants to delay the actual voting. So what they do is they have this really long debate. They, they make sure that they draw out the debate for as long as possible so that you can't actually vote on the thing. Let me talk about every single little thing that we can involve in this discussion so we can't actually address the problem itself. That's what filibustering is. It's a congressional strategy and it disseminates to our society because we see it time and again. I just laid out six, seven examples of, of, of it happening when these issues of prejudice come up. Filibustering, man, put it in your vocabulary because that's what people love to do when it comes to issues that they really don't want to address. And I'm encouraging all of you out there to recognize it and nip it in the bud when you see it. Because if we're really going to get to where we want to be as a society, we can't allow people who are stuck in their ways of thinkings to filibuster their way into not addressing these issues. So I really didn't want to talk about NASCAR and the issue of Bubba, not the issue of Bubba Wallace, but the, the that situation specifically but just address a pattern that i see every single time can't keep letting it happen man can't keep letting it happen all right let's get into this nba stuff man so i was actually going to record this on friday yesterday but the league came out with their schedule um the, those remaining eight games that they're going to play out for the rest of the regular season they came out with that schedule yesterday so i postponed my recording so i could address this with y'all um, and obviously, I'm not going to go through every single one of the 22 teams in their schedule, but I do want to address um, the eighth seed in the Western Conference because that's the most interesting storyline to me throughout the remainder of the regular season because that's the most that's the greatest point of contention in terms of what's going to happen for the remainder of the season, at least the remainder of the regular season. So Memphis currently is in ownership of the eighth seed. But the catch is, right, Memphis had the toughest schedule remaining for the regular season before Corona hit. 
and the schedule makers obviously wanted that to be reflected in the in in the schedule that they made to finish out the season. So Memphis has, I believe, the f- tied for the fourth toughest schedule. They're tied with the Lakers. They have the fourth toughest schedule of any of the twenty-two teams going to Orlando. It's gonna be tough. It's gonna be tough. And it's going to be tough for all 22 teams that are there because they haven't been practicing and whatnot. But it's going to be tough, particularly for Memphis. They're a young team. They don't have a whole lot of experience in these high-stakes situations yet. They just spent however long, like some like three months off from one another. Now they have the fourth toughest schedule of any team. Not to mention, you have Portland. You have the Spurs, you have Sacramento, and the team that I have, I think has the most chance of usurping Memphis for that A seed, New Orleans. All of those teams are sniffing right at your butt if you're Memphis. Ready to go. And apparently, Zion Williamson, that dude might be in the best shape of his life. That's what the buzz is on Twitter, at least. Now, I thought Zion was in pretty good shape to begin with. If he's in the best shape of his life, that could be a problem not just for Memphis. That could be a problem for everyone. And I say I think New Orleans has the best chance to usurp Memphis because they actually have the easiest schedule of all of the teams going to Orlando. They're the only team in this uh, 22-team format that has a sub 500 the 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 teams on their schedule have a sub 500 record collectively the only team and obviously that's just going to play into whether or not they they can actually take possession of the 8th seed or whether they're within those four games to where you'll have a playoff at some point they're going to have to face toe to toe with Memphis and beat them but I'm not so sure that can't happen. They're both young teams. They're both talented teams. I want to say I think Memphis will uh, will edge them out. But the thing is with Memphis, their greatest advantage has always been home court. You give Memphis home court so long as the team is not vastly superior, there's a pretty good shot that the Grizzlies come home with a win. But that's not what we're dealing with right now. We're going into an Orlando situation at Disney where there's no fans whatsoever. That source of momentum comes strictly from your bench and from the the play on the court. I think that could play to Memphis' disadvantage and to New Orleans' advantage. And it would be poetic as well, right? We just saw Anthony Davis get traded from New Orleans to the Lakers for all of the Lakers' young core. So you have that that conflict of Anthony Davis versus New Orleans. The Lakers' former young core now facing LeBron, who the narrative, the narrative is that he essentially traded all of them for Anthony Davis. That he didn't want them. He'd rather have Anthony Davis, which could you really blame him? Then obviously you have Zion versus LeBron. Is the torch going to get passed? That is what the NBA wants. 
you better believe Adam Silver would much rather see a New Orleans team, that New Orleans team go up against the Lakers in the opening round of the playoffs. Let me tell you something about Memphis, man. We don't give a fuck. Watch your profanity. Memphis don't give a shit. Memphis wants to win. And I think, at least my heart tells me, right? My head tells me, I think that the Pelicans end up with the AC. But my heart? Memphis, man. They just have an edge about them that not too many teams in this league have. The Heat kind of have it. Not even kind of. The Heat have it. And then it's Memphis. The way John Morant plays. The whole grit and grind, us against the world mentality. My heart tells me Memphis edges it out. But as interesting that as that's going to be, we all know that come playoff time, whoever gets that eighth seed, they're getting knocked out first round. <laughs> like, let's be real. That eighth seed is getting knocked out first round by either L.A. or either L.A. See what I did there? Man, I'm low-key a genius today. Either L.A. or L.A. Either L.A. You see what I'm doing? What? Bro, what are you talking about, man? Bro, I'm out, man. If it's going over your head, it's because I'm thinking on a different plane right now. Y'all ain't with it, man. Y'all don't know. But on this topic of L.A., obviously Avery Bradley is out, so I guess that warrants a discussion. I said it publicly on Twitter. I think if Avery Bradley was going to be the the determining factor, the domino that had to fall, that was going to sway the Lakers one way or the other in terms of winning the championship, they weren't going to win it to begin with. Now, I know it's somewhat of a hurt piece, right? Because Avery Bradley was playing really well towards the end of uh, right before COVID hit. But let's not remember what Avery Bradley was throughout the entirety of the season. Because if you ask me... I don't care what sort of hot streak you were on, whether it's Avery Bradley, whether it's uh, Jason Tatum. I don't care what sort of hot streak you were on going in to the COVID break because that is all but irrelevant. It's not like you're going to take three months off and then come back and pick up right where you left off. No. So what I'm doing, I'm looking at what your collective season was and that's what I believe you will be when you come back. I don't care about what hot streak you were on before Corona hit. That's irrelevant to me. So Avery Bradley, 36% three-point shooter, pretty solid perimeter defense. Will he be missed? Undoubtedly. Will he, is his his absence going to be the thing that breaks the Lakers? No, sir. Especially not when you have as deep of a guard bench as you do if you're the Lakers. I'm still really big on Alex Caruso, man. And that's not, you know, me trying to be a meme. That's not me trying to poke fun at the way the dude looks. 
Alex Caruso can hoop, man. If you don't know that by now, I suggest you watch some tape. Alex Caruso plays very good defense. When you hear Frank Vogel talk about the best defenders on the Lakers, right? The dude that's consistently coming out of his mouth is like, man, he's one of the league's best defenders. He's such an underrated defender. People need to pay more attention to his defense. He's not talking about Avery Bradley there. Frank Vogel's talking about Alex Caruso. Now, granted, Caruso might be a slightly worse three-point shooter than Avery Bradley is. But what he lacks in that shooting ability, I think he makes up for in his off-ball movement. That dude's a slasher, man. And you know LeBron loves those type of dudes to play with. I would argue that Alex Caruso might be a better fit on court for LeBron James than Avery Bradley is. That's just my two cents, man. If you're a Lakers fan, you know, I I suppose you can be disappointed that Avery Bradley won't be coming back, but I know Lakers fans and I know LeBron fans, right? And I'm, I, mind you, I am both a Laker fan and a LeBron fan, but I know the way that... That camp collectively likes to operate. Lakers fans love excuses. LeBron fans love excuses. Me? I'm not in the business of making excuses, man. Especially when we haven't even seen the thing play out yet. I can see it now. Well, if the Lakers had... If Avery Bradley hadn't sat out, who knows what would have... I don't want to hear all that. I'm trying to nip that in the bud before it starts. The Lakers has, have all of the talent that I think they need to go pursue a chip. But to transition, I don't think they're going to get it. I do not think the Lakers will win the championship this year. And as much as I would like for them to, I don't think it's going to happen. I'll take that two steps further. Not only do I not think the Lakers will win the championship, I don't think the Clippers are going to win the championship, and I don't think the Milwaukee Bucks are going to win the championship. First on that, 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 that is blasphemous. The three current favorites to win this year's NBA championship, I don't think any of them are going to win. Let me tell you why. I'll start with the Bucks. And I know this narrative got put out after we saw the Bucks fall to Toronto. We saw Giannis succumb to the wall. That Giannis is some kind of playoff choker. But I think that's a bit overblown. Because as much as Giannis was really unable to deal with the wall... The reason why Toronto won that series wasn't just because they were able to put up the wall to stop Giannis, because essentially what they did was clog the paint, right? And what's Giannis supposed to do when he clogged the paint? Okay, I can't get to the rim. I kick it out to my shooter. They give me the bucket. That's not what was happening. Brooke Lopez not hitting his shots. Eric Bledsoe, consistent playoff choker. Chris Middleton not hitting his open threes like you'd like him to. Nikola Mirotic wasn't hitting his threes like you need him to, if you're Giannis. I put the onus of that series, the Bucks losing that series, every bit on the dudes around Giannis, if not 
I, I think I put it more on them than I do actually Giannis because Giannis did what he was supposed to do. If the team is going to put four or five dudes in the paint, there's no point in trying to... I mean, Giannis is a freak, but no man can get through Serge Ibaka, Marcus Gasol, Kawhi Leonard, Pascal Siakam, and Kyle Lowry. No, no dude can drive through all that. So you kick it out to open shooters. If the shooters can't hit the shots... It's their fault. That's simple basketball one-on-one. I know I just said all that to, to try to dispel the narrative that Giannis is somehow a playoff choker, but I still don't think the Bucs come out of the East. And the reason I don't think the Bucs come out of the East, I just don't think they got it, y'all. They feel like a good regular season team. And I want it bad for Giannis. But come playoff time, I'm not sure if they have the dudes that can take them the distance. And y'all know, like I know, playoff basketball is very different than regular season basketball. And their style of play, sustainable for a regular season. Come playoff time. You're going to need dudes who can just get you buckets. And I'm not sure the Bucks have enough of those dudes. Especially with the, the department of Malcolm Brogdon. I know Eric Bledsoe is not going to be the dude to step up. Unless he, he dispels the narrative that's existed essentially for his entire career. I know Giannis gets you very far. But in those last two minutes of a game. I'm not sure how much I trust Giannis with the Rock. Based on what I saw last year, I'm not sure if I trust their shooters to knock down the shots that they need to knock down when they do eventually try to clog the paint on Giannis. And Chris Middleton, as great as... I mean, I I remember I I was at my friend's birthday party watching Chris Middleton go off in the playoffs against the Boston Celtics. So I know he has it in him, but for every one of those performances... We've seen some pretty lackluster Chris Middleton performances as well. I just don't believe it, man. I'm not buying that the Milwaukee Bucks are a championship contender yet. Moving on to the Lakers. Like I said, as much as I'd like for my team to win the championship, it would be poetic if the Lakers won the championship this year. I don't see that one either. And the reason I don't see it is because I I feel like what we're going to end up seeing with this team, you're throwing in Deion Waiters. You're throwing in the Morris brother. You might be throwing in J.R. Smith, apparently. I think the Lakers are going to be asking too much of dudes that are not ready to stand on that stage. And it's going to end up having to be almost what the Cavs turned into with obviously the addition of Anthony Davis. We know he can hold his weight, but I'm not sure as great as LeBron James and Anthony Davis are that they're enough to carry the Lakers through the Western Conference because the Western Conference is just so, so good. Especially at the top end. 
I'm not sure if LeBron and Anthony Davis are enough. And that's really crazy to say. But you got to have other dudes on the court that can get the job done as well. At this particular juncture, I don't trust Kuzma. You don't have Avery Bradley, who frankly, I wouldn't have trusted all that much anyway. I damn sure don't trust Rajon Rondo. Danny Green? I think I can trust him, but the dude's essentially a floor space and a defender. There's a, there's a ceiling to how much he can actually contribute. Dwight Howard and JaVale? Again, I trust those guys, but there's a ceiling to how much they can contribute. The Lakers spent this offseason, and they waited out to get that third star. They wanted Kawhi. They were trying to get that third star. They tried to free up the cap space to go get a third star. They did free up the cap space to go get a third star because they knew. They knew that that's what it was going to take. And they didn't end up with the third star. And now I'm looking at it, and not only do you not have a third star, but now you have what are essentially good but not great role players. And I think now's the time that that starts to nip them in the bud. Now, granted, we haven't seen LeBron in the playoffs in a while. And there's a chance that, you know, I think it happens a lot where we kind of forget how good LeBron can really be come playoff time. With that said, I still don't see it, man. I still don't see it. Let me move on to finally the Clippers. The Clippers, obviously, they're the most talented roster in the NBA. But the roster has a collection of players. And I've been I've said this on Hoop and Holler, the other podcast that I do with Eddie Sun and Julio Martinez. You cannot turn it off and on. If you're a team that has the identity of being this this down-to-earth, nose-to-the-ground, bring-your-paddle-to-lunch. Shout-out, Eddie. He knows what I'm talking about. But if you're going to be this gritty team, you can't turn that off and on. You're either a gritty team all the time or you're not a gritty team. And the Clippers, they that's what they've been trying to do. Number one, their advantage, right, their advantage always was, well, we're going to rest our players. We're going to make sure we're healthy come playoff time. We're going to make sure that our guys have had more rest than the other teams. They got fresh legs. That's going to be our advantage. Well, newsflash, everyone just took three months off. So that's essentially not now. Like, that, that, that doesn't do a whole lot for you all of those load managing days, but I won't even, you know, I won't die on that hill. The real reason why I think the Clippers, they never at any point in the season were full go. And what I mean by that is that there was always some issue with somebody on that team, whether it was Kawhi sitting out or Paul George facing an injury or Lou Williams facing an injury or what have you. 
or the addition of a new free agent. This team that the Clippers have that's entering this this bubble, this team has never played together at 100% capacity. Never. Apparently, I was talking to Eddie, the Clippers most the second most played lineup by the Clippers. Patrick Beverly, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Zupac, and Marcus Morris. They just got Marcus Morris, and he's their second. Mo- he's on their second most played lineup. That tells you how little this team has actually played together. I think there's going to be a cohesion issue. The teams that I think have the greatest advantage in this current playoff format are the teams that knew exactly who they were before coronavirus postponed the season. There's no questions about who plays what role. There's no questions about who does what in what situations. There's no questions about what rotations does the team go to. They know exactly who they were. That's not the Clippers. The Clippers are going to be faced with this issue of trying to figure things out in the moments that matter the most. I think that's going to be their downfall. This is not the time to be figuring stuff out. Now's the time to have the stuff figured out and to put it on display. And because the Clippers have so much talent on the roster, dudes are going to be less inclined to step back into role-playing roles. And that isn't to say that they're selfish, but that's just not what they're used to doing. And those are the things that they would have had to figure out throughout the remainder of the regular season. And now they haven't had that opportunity. That's going to be their downfall. We're going to see a situation where you got Reggie Jackson trying to do one thing and Lou Williams trying to do a different thing. And Paul George is trying to do something completely separate. You know what I mean? I don't think these dudes actually know how to play basketball together. Not yet, at least. And either they're going to figure it out insanely quick or they're going to get punched in the mouth by somebody who's already had it figured out. I think the latter is going to happen. Which, I suppose, begs the question, Reagan, if not the Lakers, the Bucks, or the Clippers, who the hell is going to win the NBA championship? Let's get into the Q&A. Did that transition not go crazy? Come on now, y'all. I do this. So I wasn't directly asked the question, who's going to win the NBA championship? But Eddie Sun does ask me who I think is an early final MVP prediction. So by product of me answering that question, I have to answer the question, who's going to win the NBA championship, right? This is going to come 
a tad bit out of left field, y'all. But I keep arriving back at this team because, as I said before, I think the team with the greatest advantage is one that's gritty, one that thrives on its own momentum, and one that knew exactly who it was before entering this coronavirus break. I think that team is the Miami Heat. Yeah, I said it. The Miami Heat, man. This team, obviously, I already mentioned it. They're one of the grittiest teams in the NBA. They're operating in Florida, right? That team, they're not having to adjust to any time zone. And obviously, teams are going to get over that pretty quickly. But they're in somewhat of a home court for them. No one's going to be at the uh, arena, obviously, but they're in their home state of Florida. This is a team that knew exactly what they were about. Jimmy Butler was their leader. Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, they're, they're shooters. Bam Adebayo is the centerpiece for the defense. There's no questions about who's playing what role on that Miami team. This is a team with a very good head coach, Eric Spolster, one of the best in the league. This is a team with a sound leader at the head of the organization in Pat Riley. A team with a sound leader on the court in Jimmy Butler. A team with a strong rapport. I think the Miami Heat have a very legit shot at going and winning the NBA championship this year. Do I think they have the best shot? That's up in the air. But why not be different, right? Anyone can sit up here and tell you the Lakers are going to win the championship, the Clippers are going to win the championship, the Bucks are going to win the championship. I think the the excuse me, I think the Heat are right up there with any of those teams in terms of their chance to win the NBA championship. So to answer your question, Eddie, who do I think would be the Finals MVP? Surprisingly, not Jimmy Butler. I think that would be Bam Adebayo on both ends of the floor. That dude is essential to what that team does. I think that would serve as his coming out party. Next question. Jack Bloomfield asked me, who is next year's NFL MVP and Offensive Rookie of the Year? Mm. Now, I don't know if I've told you guys this yet, but every week going into the Q&A, I never take any notes. I look at the questions beforehand sometimes, but I try not to take notes and go off the top of my head. Um, give myself a little bit of challenge, you know? I want you guys to get the real authentic, well, not to say that when I take notes it's inauthentic, but I want you guys to get my knee-jerk reaction to the answers of, of each of your questions. So in, in terms of NFL MVP, it's hard not to say Patrick Mahomes just because that dude, it's Patrick Mahomes, but that's pretty low-hanging fruit. NFL MVP. <sighs> How about I go out on a limb and say that next year's NFL MVP will be Kyler Murray of the Arizona Cardinals. And the reason why Kyler Murray comes to my mind is because that second year leap happens for a lot of quarterbacks. We saw it for Patrick Mahomes. Granted, Patrick Mahomes spent all of his first year on the bench. We saw it with Lamar Jackson. 
I think we could see it with Kyler Murray, especially with the addition of right. Now you got Kingsbury in the fold. You get him. You, you get a little bit more adjusted to that offense. You got DeAndre Hopkins coming in, arguably the best receiver in the NFL. You still have Christian Kirk. You still have Larry Fitzgerald. You have an improving offensive line. I really like the way Kyler Murray plays football. He's one of those dudes who can create a lot of time for himself, but he always keeps his eyes downfield. He's dual threat. He can scramble. People love those guys. And he's immensely talented when it comes to throwing the actual football. Immensely talented. I think Kyler Murray has a decent chance at winning the NFL MVP. Offensive rookie of the year, that's a bit tougher. I could go Joe Burrow. Again, somewhat of low-hanging fruit. (sighs) Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is a name that comes to mind. But I'm not sure he would go so far as to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. And that's only because I think he's going to have a profound effect on the Chiefs offense, but they tend to go running back by committee. Jonathan Taylor is another name that comes to mind. Hmm. You know what? No, I have mine. Y'all know I love me some Denzel Mims. Sam Donald is almost devoid of wide receivers that are reliable up there in New York. I'm going to say Denzel Mims, man. I really think that dude has star potential. And he's a dude that immediately translates to the NFL physically. He's already right there in terms of route running. And his hands, my God. I think he's somebody that'll translate very well in terms of playing with Sam Darnold. And because there's not a whole lot around him up there in New York, there's a decent chance he gets a lot of targets. I'm going to say Denzel Mims, man. Denzel Mims out of New York, Offensive Rookie of the Year. Next question. What do I think of the Cura rings that NBA players may start wearing? It's supposed to detect COVID-19. So I've actually talked with Eddie a little bit about this, and I've watched some uh, some videos. And essentially what the rings do, it tracks your sleeping patterns. Um, and whenever and it's tracking your, um, your body temperature. So when there's a spike in your body temperature, that's indicating that you could be prone to get sick soon. Or you might be getting sick. Um, I'm not gonna lie to y'all that that's entering a realm that I'm not too comfortable in in terms of the the technology and the science behind it. But you know, I'm not gonna go be like Kyle Kuzma and say it sounds like a tracking device. What is there to track? I mean, you're you're all in the bubble, right? So uh, I don't see why not. It, I, I don't imagine that they're gonna wear it on the court, but yeah, I, I, if it's something that could help. Um, keep track of players in their health and serve as some sort of preventative measure so there's no COVID outbreak within the bubble, by all means, I think it's a good thing. Next question comes from Darnell Settles. My brother told me the NBA wants to shift their season because of the NFL, true or false? So there are rumblings, Darnell, um, that the NFL or the NBA is going to shift their season permanently. And it makes sense when you think about it because that initial, when the NBA starts around like October, I want to say, those first couple of games, people are really into it and then they kind of fall back 
because we get into the regular flow of the NBA season and you're really in the heat of what is the NFL season, people are more focused on that. So I think it would make sense from the NBA standpoint and there have there has been buzz in regards to the NBA doing that. Um, so what we'd end up seeing would be the NBA starting pretty much on Christmas Day or sometime in December, which I think makes a lot of sense because then you get to capitalize on more of that um, that prime time, no NFL, you're the show slot. The only difficult thing would be, you know, now you're not running a summer league, it'd be more of a fall league. But I don't think there, there's much of an issue with that. I think it makes sense for both the NFL and the NBA not to step on each other's show, toes. Makes a lot of sense. So I, I, I can't, I'm not within the NBA. I don't have sources. So I can't say that this is an actual thing that the NBA is for sure considering, but it would make a lot of sense if they were. I'll leave it at that. Let's see. What else we got? Remember, I, I'm answering, I was answering half of the questions last week and I'm answering half of them this week. So I kind of have to keep track of which ones I've already answered. Uh, answered that one, answered that one. Robbie asked me, Rob Musicante asked me when I'm getting a license. Y'all, I have a confession. I'm 19 years old. I don't have a driver's license. Oh, oh, he needs some milk. And the reason why I don't have a driver's license, when I was 16, or when I turned 16, right? The, the, that whole 15, 16 year when you're supposed to get your permit and your license, I'll be forthcoming. That was a difficult time for me. Personally and academically, I wasn't in a spot in my life where I wanted to prioritize driving. I needed to prioritize schoolwork because I was frankly struggling. I had to get out of a, a pretty steep hole that I dug for myself. So luckily, I managed to find my way out of that. But that's why I didn't get my license at that period in time. The next year, my junior year would have been a perfect time for me to get my license. If I hadn't broken my freaking leg. <laughs> yeah, I broke my femur in junior year of high school playing football first game of the season so i'm not driving anywhere i'm not even walking anywhere so there goes that year uh, uh that, that that was a year spent i, I think it was three months in a cask task or cast today junior excuse me um and then you had rehab and all of that so that that took up you know almost my whole year just to get healthy again then senior year, you know, that's senior year, applying to colleges, you're uh, um, you're still dealing with the schoolwork. I had a lot of stuff going on when I was in high school um, in terms of involvement. I was busy, man. I, I didn't have a chance to go get my license during senior year. Next thing you know, it's senior year summer. Still don't have a license. Now, I will admit I went and got my permit senior year summer and I tried to to uh, to go get my license, but something happened. I won't get too much into it. Let's just say I was learning how to drive and I didn't do too hot. And the car's bumper may or may not have suffered for it. But that discouraged me enough to, to just fall back and postpone the driving because, yeah, didn't do too hot. So now I'm 19 after my freshman year in college. Still don't have a driver's license. I'm working on it, man. I'm working on it. Give me some time. Give me a little bit of breathing room. I'm going to get there, y'all. I will get there. All right. I think that is the last question that I have had. So with that, yep, that is the last one. So I'll end it for this week. 10 episodes, man. 
it's been a pleasure it's been an absolute pleasure i'll see you guys next week hold up hold up hold up hold up y'all didn't think i was gonna get up out of here without doing the top 10 quarterbacks list that i promised you i don't make empty promises man i ain't forget top 10 quarterbacks now before i get into it i do want to say i'm doing this based on primarily last season with a little bit of flexibility in terms of if i think a guy had an abnormally bad or good season last year um but i'm ultimately projecting in in terms of who i think the best quarterbacks are going to be next season all right so with that said let's get into it number one y'all know what it is patrick mahomes any list, uh, let me say this, any list that does not start with Patrick Mahomes as the best quarterback in the NFL is invalid to me. Patrick Mahomes is the undisputed best quarterback in the NFL until he shows otherwise. And he's yet to show otherwise in the past two seasons. Number one, Patrick Mahomes. Number two, Russell Wilson. As great as Patrick Mahomes is, Russell Wilson is right there. He doesn't have the arm talent of a Patrick Mahomes, but Russell Wilson's he, he's carried that seattle franchise on his back particularly that offense who's had a subpar subpar offensive line since he's been there and not that great of a receiving core that's all russell wilson man number three deshaun watson a little bit of controversy here i have deshaun watson slated ahead of lamar jackson and the reason i have it that way it's not an indictment on lamar jackson because frankly, it's very close between Deshaun ja- or Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson. I'm just thinking in terms of playoff performances. Who would I rather have on my team come playoff time? I think Deshaun Watson gets the slight edge because I know for an absolute fact, Deshaun Watson's clutch, man. We've seen it at Clemson. We're seeing it in Houston. That dude has the winning gene. And I'm not saying Lamar Jackson doesn't. But we've yet to see it. That's all I'm saying. So I have Deshaun Watson at three. Number four, Lamar Jackson. NFL MVP. Arguably the most efficient player in the NFL. It's not a whole lot that has to be said, man. Lamar Jackson. Number five, Aaron Rodgers. Now, we did see Aaron Rodgers play take a downswing last season. But I I do think that, A, it might have been a bit anomalous. I don't even know if that's a real word, but if it's not, I just made it a word. Anomaly. I'm I'm saying it's anomalous, the root word being anomaly. And I think it's a lot of it is part of, is that, you know, it's it starts and stops with Devontae Adams in terms of the people that the dude has the ball to throw to. So I think if you get him better receivers, like, you know, he used to have these insane receiving cores with Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb, um, James Jones doesn't have that anymore it really starts and stops with Devontae Adams and I think he's reaping the repercussions for that but I do think I do still think Aaron Rodgers is immensely talented number six Carson Wentz yes I said it I'm not gonna get into because you know I could talk for another 54 minutes about why I think Carson Wentz is an immensely talented quarterback I won't do that today y'all know where I stand on this matter Carson Wentz, number six. Number seven, Kyler Murray. My MVP prediction. Kyler Murray, I mean, I just said earlier in the show all the reasons why I think Kyler Murray is a very good player, so I won't get back into it. But the reason I have Kyler Murray 
lower because I said he was I think I project him to be MVP. The reason I have him lower is just a little bit of room for error there. He could be as high as four on this list. He could be as low as not on this list. So kind of picked on the, the, the middle ground there. Number eight, Drew Brees. He's kind of on his last legs down there in New Orleans, but he still has a lot of arm talent there. Not a whole lot of much else to say. Number nine, Matthew Stafford. Now, this was a bit tough for me, man. And the reason it's tough is because Matthew Stafford really has not done a whole lot in terms of winning. He's just a very, very talented and gifted quarterback. And I'm not sure whether that's an indictment on Stafford or an indictment on Detroit as an organization or both. It's so hard to tell what's going on down there. But I'm giving Stafford the benefit of the doubt. So I have him at number nine. And number 10, Dak Prescott. Just got franchise tag. Just signed that, what, what was it, $31, $32 million franchise tag. He had a pretty good season last year. I do think he's limited in terms of his ability, but he does maximize on the ability that he does have. And for that reason, I give him just the edge in terms of being a top 10 quarterback, but I still do think he's more of a product of what's around him than he is a product of his own ability. Notable um, notable omissions. I don't have Tom Brady on here. I think Tom Brady is not washed, but he's not a top 10 quarterback anymore. Um, no Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan's in the kind of the same situation as Matthew Stafford, except he's not as physically gifted. So they're in the same situation in terms of really that their overall production has been mediocre as of late um, in terms of what their team's able to do at least. But at least I know Matthew Stafford has a top five arm in the NFL. I can't say the same of Matt or Matt Ryan. Who else do I not have on here? Uh... No, Joe Burrow, obviously, we still have to wait and see, but he does have the the, uh, potential to enter that list very quickly. No Cam Newton. It wouldn't surprise me at all. The second that dude touches the NFL roster, he goes out there and shocks everybody. Not me. It won't be shocking to me at all, but I can't in good conscience put a free agent on a top 10 quarterback list, even though I do think he has the potential to be a top 10 quarterback the second he steps on a football field. No Kirk Cousins. Kind of the same situation as Dak Prescott, except a slightly worse, I believe. Um, and really, you can't make a whole lot of argument for the, the other guys that I left on this. No no Baker Mayfield. We saw the season that he had. So one really good season, one really bad season. I won't get too much deeper into it, man. That's my top 10 list. Now, I will bow out of this 10th episode of the Reagan Griffin Jr. Show. Thank you guys so much for tuning in every single week. Thank you for all the support that you give me. It does not go unnoticed. I very much love and appreciate every single one of you for sitting here and listening to me talk about the thing that I love most, sports and things in the the, the intersectionality within sports. So uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in, and I will see you next week. Here's to the next 10 and beyond.